Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. John 15, 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Heavenly Father, we want to grasp the weight of a moment we have like this. Just the sheer fact that we have your word, your truth, your light available to us. God, it's something that we don't want to overlook. It's also something, God, your word, it's something we don't want to take advantage of and improperly relate to. I just think of how many times you say in your word that your eyes are especially upon those that are trembling at your word, that are hungry for your word and are submitted to your word. And so, God, we just acknowledge them in a a world of words, so many words, so many thoughts, so many ideas. God, even in this room, uh, even if we were to disconnect from our phones for a minute, all the minds in this room and all the thoughts in this room, all the words in this room that we play over and over. Lord, in, in light of that, in the world of all of the, the noise, we've come to quiet our hearts and minds to hear your word. To let you speak, God. To listen. To be ultimately, God, changed by what you have to say. So, Father, zero our focus in on you and your word now. Our attention now is not merely given to man on a stage. Our attention is to you, Father, and it's to you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Speak and give us ears to hear what you want to say to us, your people. What an honor to be in your presence. What an honor 
to receive from your word. Would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, I think this is about week six or seven. I've lost count here. That usually happens once we've just kind of been making our way through a a series like this. But for a decent amount of weeks, starting the second week of January, we have been exploring these incredible words here in John chapter 15. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples in preparation for his departure. This is in the last week of Jesus' life, this chapter. And chapter 15 is sandwiched between 13 and 17, a section of the Gospel of John that details Jesus really giving a final download to his followers. He wants them to be as prepared for possible, uh, as, sorry, that he wants them to be as prepared as possible for life without him physically next to them. As he is going to go to the cross, he's going to rise, he's going to send the power of his spirit, and these are kind of his final moments with them for now. Uh, It's from these words in John 15 that we've gathered the theme of our series entitled, Abide in Me. Out of all the words that Jesus speaks, here in John 15, we have some of the most powerful and practical. I mean, this is simply the call. If, If you narrow it all down to how we're to live as followers of Jesus in this time, empowered by His Spirit, the invitation that Jesus gives His followers, the call that He gives them, that's going to lead, the only way to a life that's fruitful in His kingdom is going to be on the other side of abiding. This is the word He uses. Three times in just this section, He says to abide in me. We've studied this word for a couple weeks now. This word abide means to remain, to stay, to dwell, or as my favorite translation puts it, to make your home in. So this is the call, right? This is what Jesus saved us to. This is what he's calling us to. This is where fruitfulness is found. This whole series is built around this invitation for us to be people who don't just visit Jesus on a Sunday or in our minds every now and then, but but for us to live lives that are marked by remaining in him. Lives that are marked by depth of relationship. It's the idea of like living from him, like he's your home. That's the idea. It's relational words. And so, uh, so far, we've learned a couple of things about this. Last week, we learned that the idea that, that abiding in Jesus, like if we're going to do that, it's going to look something like this thing called withness. Remember that made-up word from last week? If we're going to abide in Jesus, th- there should be a way of life that we're living that's marked by this, this way of withness, that we're doing life with him. He says there in verse 5, he says, without me, you can do nothing. He speaks to the opposite. So we've learned that first, that if we're going to abide... We've got to learn to live with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to live with Jesus. Uh, But this morning, as we keep kind of chipping away at this passage, which seems to be kind of the mode of what we're going to do here, we make our way to verse 7, where we learn something interesting about abiding from Jesus' perspective. As he says, if you abide in me, and I want you to notice this, here's the, the verse we're going to zero in on today. He says, and if my, what's the word there? Words, if my words abide in you. He goes on to describe the effectiveness we will have in prayer, which we'll go to talk on next week. But I want you to notice just a simple observation that'll kind of be where we camp out this morning. Here in verse 7, Jesus teaches that abiding in him 
involves a certain kind of relationship to his words. There, there is no, in other words, there is no such thing as depth of abiding in Jesus if I have somehow selectively approached his words. That my relationship with the words of Jesus is the same thing as my relationship with Jesus. In fact, this is one of the main themes throughout all of the scriptures in our relationship to God. That, that the, the litmus test of how we relate to God is how we relate to his word. How we relate to God's word will determine how we actually live in relationship with God. I mean, we see this from the very beginning, don't we? When Adam and Eve first turned away from God, what was the root issue of humanity? It was a broken relationship to what God had said. What has God said? And how do we relate to what God has said properly? This is at the root of of mostly what's wrong in our lives, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with sin. What's wrong with our relationship with God is often what's wrong in our relationship with his word. So they're, they're, they're connected. It's inseparable. Another way to say this is that we cannot be serious about God and somehow selective with his words. Again, we cannot be serious about a relationship with God if we are going to be selective with his words. Most of the Old Testament involves God sending prophets to correct this thinking. I think of the book of Micah specifically which was a time in history where God's people, they wanted God without his word. By the way, imagine a relationship like that. If someone's like, hey, I want to be your friend, but I don't ever want you to talk to me. It's like, okay. All right. I mean, imagine approaching any relationship like that. We, we know that our words are central to our being. They're central to communication and revelation of who we are. Uh, but this is often where Israel, God's people, have found themselves and even sometimes today still find themselves. I want God, but I don't want everything he said. Or I don't want the things that he said that I don't like. Or I don't want the things that he said that are difficult to receive. The book of Micah is an example of this where God's people have so turn themselves away from God's word, and this is usually what happens. It usually starts with the people. The people, and it kind of it goes hand in hand with the leaders, but, but there's a recipe often for God's people getting away from God's word, and it's this, this desire for other teaching, other ideas, other concepts, uh, and then raising up teachers that will itch your ears with those desires. So people that can reinforce whatever it is that you're wanting to hear. This was wrong in the Old Testament. It gets wrong in the New Testament. It, gets wrong even, uh, it goes wrong even in this day and age. But again, this is a theme of Scripture. Uh, even Jesus, w- with his time on earth, I think of this verse in John chapter 8. Remember the people that had problems with Jesus, right? It was usually the religious leaders. And Jesus speaks to them in John chapter 8. Jesus is, is throwing some heat here in John 8 with these guys. He's not sugarcoating much. He's going right for the... I mean, we should say the heart, but he's going right for the jugular is what he's going for. And he tells them, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Notice this. Here's the reason why. Because my what? One more time. Because my, come back, all right? Because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. He'll go on to tell them who who their daddy is, and he says it's the devil, low key. But notice what he says here. He says, your issue with me is not really with me. It's with what I'm saying. The problem here is that my word has found no place in you. My word has found no place in you. 
And so this is what we see Jesus referring to here in John 15. And let's, let's even begin here by stating the obvious about Jesus. Here's what you need to understand about Jesus. This, is my, this might be simple, but I think this is one of the most overlooked things about the life of Jesus. And that's this, that Jesus had a ministry of words. Remember this for a second. However we kind of paint Jesus out to be in our minds, we know he, he was a man of great works, wasn't he? Jesus went around doing some incredible things, loving the, the, the culturally unlovable, touching the culturally untouchable. And he came around modeling a way of life and a way of the kingdom that, that really all walks of life have some reverence towards the way that Jesus lived. But a lot of times what we can do is divorce the way of Jesus. Have you seen this? From the words of Jesus. I like how he lived, but what about the things he said about God and about the condition of man and about how to be right with God and about what's wrong with man? I mean, the words of Jesus often get muted, but it's the words of Jesus that drove his ministry. Jesus had a ministry of words. It's Matthew chapter 4. It says Jesus began his ministry that way. He went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Notice the order. That comes first. And from that place of truth and proclamation, he came healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Jesus was a rabbi. One of the most common titles that Jesus has given in the Gospels is that of a teacher. He was a communicator. He came to bring not just the works of the kingdom, but the words of the kingdom. This is what it says in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This was the impact that Jesus' preaching ministry was having on society. I mean, still today, look at us. We're here in 2024 opening up John 15, and we're just sitting here going, look at the words of Jesus. Are you with me? And people have been doing this for centuries. And even back then, there was a special astonishment at Jesus' words in that culture. Uh, the, the Bible tells us that at that time, the reason why, why people were so drawn to Jesus was because he was preaching unlike any, any other preacher at that time. Most preachers at that time were just regurgitating what everyone else was saying. Uh, get this, back then they had these things called echo chambers. Echo chambers were just these circulatory thoughts where no one ever challenged those thoughts and just regurgitated them beyond end. There was no criticism or critical thinking of those thoughts. Boy, have, time cha have times changed, right? That's sarcasm for you this morning. But that was the culture of the time. And Jesus shows up into the midst of a culture like that where there's just the same old talk. And here's, here's interestingly enough, uh, the, the prominent teaching of that day, it empowered the strong and it ostracized the weak. That was the teaching of the day. It empowered the strong. If you were rich, if you were powerful, if you were religious, if you were holy, you were empowered. That was the kind of, it kind of like, it kind of, uh, you know, it boosted your ego if you were on that side. But if you were the oppressed, if you were the marginalized, if you were the weak, if you were the sinner, if you were us, you know what I'm saying? You would have been just discouraged at the teaching that came your way. And so Jesus comes along and he brings these words of the kingdom. He comes and I'll just, these are just three. I mean, you, you cannot reduce the preaching ministry of Jesus to three C words. I'll tell you that. But at least we can start here. Jesus comes and he, he preaches with conviction. He's not just saying things because it's the things you're supposed to say. He speaks, the Bible says, with authority. Why? Because he's speaking from 
conviction and integrity. What he's saying is what he truly believes. He's saying it not just with his mouth, he's saying it from his heart. And how many of us know the difference between just saying something and saying it with conviction? They're saying something with opinion and and even passion, but there's something about saying something from the depths of your bones even, where it's in you and it's of you. And Jesus came with this level of conviction. And it was kind of like, I don't know if I agree with you. I don't know if I believe what you're saying, but I believe that you believe what you're saying, and that's appealing. You know what I'm saying? There's something to Christians that proclaim truth from conviction that aren't just regurgitating the same old sound bites, but they have it deep within them. This is Jesus. Jesus also spoke with great clarity. Like, it wasn't just high and lofty conceptual ideas that would go over people's heads, that people would go, I, I, just, I guess I could never actually be a follower of Jesus because I can't make sense of anything he's saying. Now, what's interesting about uh, Jesus' ministry is whenever that was happening, Whenever there was like a lack of understanding, it was usually uh, to, the, to the religious leaders of the day who actually Jesus is like, you're hearing, but God has will that you can't hear. You can, you're seeing what I'm saying, but you're not able to see it because of your religion. Religion is often the fog on the window that keeps us from receiving and seeing the kingdom. But it was the simple people, right? It was the town folks. It was the weak. It was the broken. It was the nothing that were latching on to every single one of Jesus' words with clarity. They understood what he was saying. They were relating it to their lives. They were like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I'm the poor in spirit. I'm the persecuted. I'm the mourning. I'm the grieving. Jesus spoke with clarity. He would even tell these great stories in the form of parables to help people really get it. And ultimately, I think this is where we see the heart of Jesus most. We see Jesus' preaching ministry as marked by compassion, right? Jesus, you know, there's a big danger, I think, today in today's culture where, let me speak to the opposite of this, where we, we neglect truth in the name of loving people. I think there, there's a danger in that because you're not actually loving someone if you're lying to them, right? A couple head nods, you're, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not loving someone if you're lying through your teeth at them. That's the opposite of loving. To love is to tell the truth. But there is this reactive response that I see very common in the church today where it's like, okay, I'm not, going to, um, I'm not going to lie to you in the name of love. But today there's like this reaction where the only value is proclaiming the truth, but it's often done without any concern or love for the person you're speaking to. And that's another equal error. That's a biblical error that must be called out. Paul says it this way, you can have all the knowledge in all the, in all the world, but if you don't have love your words mean nothing. They mean nothing. So, like, we need a little bit more of the heart in this. I'm so glad that, that so much of the church has recalibrated back to the truth. But where's the love? Speak the truth in love. Have, do you have in your heart? And I have to check this each and every Sunday when I get up here. It's like, am I most in love with God and the people that I'm speaking to? Is there a love in my heart for you? There's a compassion towards you that drives what I'm saying. There was something about Jesus when he spoke to you, even if he told you the truth. I hope you can feel this too. I've had this in my life. When Jesus speaks to me and when I read his words, and even when they're hard to receive, they come from this place where I'm like, I know he loves me. There's compassion. Jesus spoke with conviction. He spoke with clarity. He spoke with compassion. But let's establish something important. 
With this ministry of words, words of conviction, clarity, and compassion, Jesus didn't seek to ultimately draw crowds to be astonished at his preaching, even though that happened. It's great that that happened. Multitudes came to him. They're like, this is a great sermon. Let's hear the sermon. People today still, to some degree, love the Sermon on the Mount. But this wasn't Jesus' ultimate goal with his words. Do we know this? Jesus' goal with his words, given to us in God's word, is the end goal is not that you're astonished at what he has to say. By the way, that will happen. But Jesus' ultimate aim was not merely to draw crowds with his words. In fact, we see many times where Jesus will, in front of those crowds, speak with conviction, clarity, and compassion to the extent that many walk away. Like Jesus often, have you noticed this? He'll make it at times like really hard to stay and keep being his student. And he'll also make it really easy to leave. Like there's the door. Rich young ruler, this is the cost. Like there's the door. Eat my flesh, you know, drink my blood. What's good? Those are my words. That's my sermon today. What do you think about that one? All right. And people are like, yeah, Sermon on the Mount was nice. I'm going to go to this rabbi. The reason why Jesus didn't shy away from these moments is because, again, his ultimate goal wasn't preaching to draw crowds. Listen, he came preaching to dismantle lies and make disciples. What's the purpose of God's word? To dismantle lies and shape lives to shape lives. Uh, this was his ultimate goal. If you want to you know, even think about what we've been commissioned to do as the church, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Do, do you know what it culminates in? It culminates, we often forget verse 20. Uh, we, we look at verse 19, but we forget verse 20 says, teaching people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. I mean, the, the mission of the church is not just to go out and draw crowds with astonishing words, but it's to get people shaped and to, to live in and live from the words of Jesus. It's for discipleship and growth and development and the shaping that comes through his words. If you look at uh, Jesus doing this with his disciples especially, Matthew 5, here's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Jesus sees a multitude. He goes up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and then proceeds the whole uh, kind of greatest hits of Jesus' sermons in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, Jesus, his goal in preaching was to, to form and shape lives. Uh, we, we see this probably most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for Jesus, I want you to hear this too. Like, it all came out of a conviction and a passion and a realization, I guess is another way to say this. You know, Jesus knew then what modern even psychology and therapy believes today. That you and your life, listen closely, is bound or freed by the words you live by. Your life today is on a course and it is entirely shaped by the story you're living in. By the words that are dominating your, your, your narrative, your identity, your view of God. We know that words matter, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never, will never, what is it, hurt me? 
Well, the only problem with that phrase is what the book of Proverbs says, which is life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's funny too, right? I know, it is kind of ironic. Because we've sort of trivialized words. We've made them, and I think we could also make too big of people that just have words without action, but we can forget something, that there's power in words. Some of us today are still living in narratives that we have failed to even connect to words that were spoken over us years ago. Curses that were pronounced on us over our destiny and our identity, over our theology. And we have like this subconscious stream, don't we? We don't even face it. We, we often just kind of go on autopilot and just live from it. But every one of us are listening to something and living from something. Your life is being lived from a certain story, from a certain narrative. It, Jesus knew this in the time that he was in. This is why he brought a ministry of words. In fact, if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you see Jesus' efforts to really dismantle any of these broken thought patterns that are keeping people bound. And, and this is his most common like sermon uh, phraseology that he would use. He, he would come into the culture and he would say this, you have heard it said. In other words, here are the words that you've been living by, but I say to you, here are the words you should live by. Here's what you've been told, but here's what's true. This is what Christ comes to do in all of our lives. Here's the storyline you're living in, but here's the true, better story of God. This is who he is. This is who you are to him, and this is what he's up to in the world. Now, Jesus is emphasizing this even in Matthew 7, but I think one of the most important places that we see Jesus proclaiming this, you remember these words of Jesus in John 8? Here's what Jesus says about his words. Like, Words have power no matter whose words they are. Um, they, they shape our identity, especially people. And, and there's, there is actually a different degree of power to, to, to different words, depending on the relationship to that person. Uh, I think the principle is that words have power, period. But, but when Jesus comes on the scene helping form humans and disciples into his image through his words, he's not just adopting a principle that words have power. Uh, Jesus, as a, as a communicator of the words of God has a certain power to his words that no other words have. I want you to hear this. There's a certain power to the words of God that no other words compare to. So much so that your life can be so dominated by certain words that when those words come into the presence of God's words, those words shut up. And God's words override. There's a power to God's words. I just want, want to encourage and remind you of this. If you've been someone that's been bound by words, here's the remedy, God's words. You can have your mind renewed. You can have your life transformed if you get the proper words involved. And Jesus said this about himself in John 8. He, says, he said to the Jews, those who believed in him, they're like, okay, we believe that you're the Messiah. He goes, great, but if you abide in my word, so he calls us to a kind of relationship with his words, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. It's only Jesus who's ever been able to say this. That his words, that, that, that if we make our home in what he said, right? That's the word abide. Like if you and I are people, here's what Jesus claims about himself. If you decide my life is going to be built upon the words of Jesus, I'm going I'm to 
Do it all in that place, okay? I'm going to build my home there. I'm going to remain there. I'm going to live in what Jesus has said. Jesus says, if you do that, you'll find freedom, he says. You'll find the truth, and the truth will set you free. Through Jesus' word, you'll be set free from lies and free to truth. Now, back to John 15 in our minds, he's speaking to his disciples. Can we say this? This is what the disciples have been experiencing for the past three years. It's one thing to, at a distance, be astonished at Jesus' teaching, but, I mean, what we get to do every Sunday is what the, and really every day of our lives with the gift of God's word is what the disciples got to do. Each and every day, they made their home in Jesus' words. They learned, mostly through correction, right? They'd be like, oh, right, this is the right way to think about that, right, Jesus? And he's like, this is not it. Sure about that? That's not it, all right? And he would confront them and correct them with the truth. And, he, and this has really been their lives. Uh, they've been experiencing this as they've walked with him, as I'm sure many of you have as well. And I want to say, um, you will if you do. You will experience what the, the power of Jesus' words. You know, in such a way that I feel like I've gotten to in my life as I follow Jesus and I don't, when I say I follow Jesus, you know, I want you to think more like the footprints in the sand kind of idea, right? Not so much like I've followed Jesus, but like Jesus has pulled me along, you know, for all these years. And as I followed him, I'm at a point in my life, too, where I could resonate with uh, something that happens in John chapter 6 with the disciples. In John chapter 6, Jesus speaks some hard words. It's the whole Seeming, it looks like pro-cannibalism, that whole thing. He's like, eat my flesh, drink my, that's not what's going on. But they like are confused. And it says in John, ironically, 666, that many departed from him and walked with him no more. And there's this interesting moment, I just can picture it in my, my imagination here, that Jesus turns to his disciples. Maybe you've kind of sensed him look at you this way before. And he goes, what about you? Do you, you want to leave too? And I mean, if they're honest, they're probably like, kind of, maybe a little bit, TBH, Lord, like, this is, this is, uh, that was rough, that was a rough message, Lord, I would prefer like a three-point sermon next time, but that was, I mean, if they're honest, they're, they're, they're wrestling with some things, and the crowd is thinning, and there's no indication here that they don't have any problem with what Jesus said, but here's what they say, Simon Peter speaks up on behalf of them, and he says, Lord, I love this. This is, if anything, this is my testimony. This is my relationship with Jesus right here. Where else are we going to go? For you have, you alone have the words of eternal life. I mean, I definitely have the capacity to wander away from Jesus, as do you. But I'm at a point in my life right now where, listen, I just want to be honest with you. Even if I wanted to, I can't walk away from Jesus. I've tried a lot, you know. And I constantly come to the place where I go, where, if I walk away from him, where am I going to go? What compares to the life I have in him? What compares to the words he speaks? I may take some vacations from him, but eventually I feel that emptiness in my soul. And I go, Lord, there's no one like you who could give me what I was created for. And I come back to him. And there comes a point in your life where you just got to so discover the riches of God's word, even amidst your doubts and questions and suffering. You're like, you're like, yeah, I mean, I got a lot of reasons I feel like in the flesh to leave, Lord. But what I found in you 
sells me. I'm here, and I'm here for good. This is the disciples' testimony. What they have come to find in Jesus has so transformed their life. They've been those that have been abiding in Jesus' word. But I want you to notice a key observation as we zero back here to John 15. With that context, there's something insightful about what Jesus is saying here. Here in John 15, 7, as he's speaking to his followers who have been abiding in his words, the, the question that Jesus has for them is, and I want you to notice this, it's not a matter of whether or not they have or they will abide in his word. They've had that with him. But as he's preparing to depart, the question is, I want you to notice this, will his words remain in them? This is a huge reality. The question is not, will you remain in my words? It's like, yeah, I come to church, great. Will my words abide, remain, and make their home in you? You just got to think. He's like, I'm on my way out. And he's begun to prepare them for a life without him next to them. And there's a call he's giving. He's like, you guys have rooted down in my teaching, and that's great. But will it stay in you? Will it be rooted in you? Will it remain in you? I think of the words of Paul to the church in Colossians. Here's what Paul says. He says to let the word of Christ. Can this be said about our lives? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. He's having the disciples consider, is this true of your life? Is your heart a home where God's word is richly dwelling? Same word there for abide. Now Christ has begun to warn his followers, or maybe a better way to say this is to call them uh, to make sure that they don't lose God's word from their life. There's something about the human condition. Jesus believed this. Like here's the reality, ready? You and I, um, we don't keep God's word by default. Not even if we have great memories. There's something about our condition. There's something about the spiritual opposition we face that that makes being someone who's in whom God's word is richly dwelling is like an uphill upstream fight. It's something that only happens actively. And if we kind of go neutral and passive on this because we know Bible verses or we've been in church, we will forfeit this. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. I mean, this, the context of John 15, abiding in, uh, his words abiding in them, is connected to John 14, where Jesus is also saying some final words to them. And he says this, if anyone loves me, he's telling them, he will keep my word. So here's the call, keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. What an invitation, what a beautiful vision for life in the kingdom. He who does not love me, Jesus says, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father, the Father's who sent me. So that's a key aspect. Jesus' words were the words of God, words of the Father. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. This is important. But the helper, he says to the disciples, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. This is incredible. For three years, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, has been just seeking to saturate the minds of his followers with the, with the words of his kingdom. And now he's leaving. He's like, boys, I know you've been in my word, but my word's got to be in you. 
And here's the good news. I'm sending you my Holy Spirit. And the job and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to keep God's word right there at the forefront of your mind. The, let me say this again. The, job, the central job of the Holy Spirit is to saturate our hearts and minds with the words of Jesus. I don't know what your theology of the Holy Spirit is. I don't know where that fits into it. What I do know is today we've done this really weird thing where we've created a separation between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And everyone's trying to figure out how to make these two friends work together. Like, are you a Holy Spirit person or are you like a Bible guy? It's like, yes. Because how, how could I know of the beauties and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit without the Word of God? And how could I have the Word of God if not for the power of the Holy Spirit? And, and so there, there, there is no, there's no issue here with God. Do we understand this? The Spirit of God hovers over the waters of God's Word. Ministering to the people of God, the truths of God's Word. It's not like add this to this. It's a symbiotic relationship. This is one of our values I want to just emphasize here at Solus. We have these four pillars that we want to have ingrained into our lives. And one of those pillars is that we would be people whose lives are marked by word, spirit, unity. That as we grow in our depth of relationship with the Holy Spirit available to his presence and power, we grow in our hunger for God's word. And as we grow in our relationship to God's word, we develop a greater yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. We don't have to reconcile friends. And Jesus taught us this. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to center around the truth of God's words. Now, with this reality, and I'll give a kind of closing practical direction with this, and we'll bring this back before the Lord. With this reality, what Jesus is teaching is the Holy Spirit, even today, he's working to shape us with God's words. But it's not going to happen on accident. It's not going to happen naturally. There's no such thing as a disciple who's tripped and fell into a life marked by God's word, shaping everything about them. There's a certain discipline and an ongoing and active effort we have to put Towards this relationship. You remember the parable in Mark 4 that Jesus tells about the sower? And he expounds on this. He's like, if the sower is the son who sows the word of God, it's great that you come to church and it's great that you know the Bible. It's great that there's been some seeds. But what's just as important as the seed that's being sown is the soil that it's falling on. It's the heart that it's landing on. So Jesus tells the condition of some hearts where the seed is sown but because there was, there, it was like a stony condition, and he says this is a picture of actually how the enemy works, this can happen. You can come to church, and, and God can speak his word to you, but it's like a big, the enemy in some way, whatever it's, whether it's sin in our lives or something's blocking up our hearing, it just kind of bounces off. It doesn't happen naturally. There's a, there's a spiritual enemy keeping us from truth. And then there's also the conditions of life. He says the word is sown in our hearts, but then, then difficulty comes discouragement sets in. Suffering and hardship and loss and pain choke the word of God. It scorches it. There's challenges we walk through. 
He then says that there's even these things called the temptations of the world. The desi- in fact, one of them is the desire for other things. I love how, how like, all-encompassing that is. Because <laughs> sometimes it's good things. Sometimes it's Jesus quote things. Sometimes it's noble and virtuous things. But there are these other things that can distract us from God's word. So there's a certain kind of heart posture I've got to keep tending to if I'm going to bear fruit. And, and James, the, you know, the kid brother of Jesus, you know, and like every kid brother just would want to repeat whatever his big brother was saying. So James, in his book, the, the book of James, his letter, he, he's speaking about the power of God's word. And he gives kind of a formula. And I, and I want to offer this to you. And this is, again, going to be foundational surface level, but I want you to take this with you. I want to offer kind of a roadmap for how we can be those that are actively seeking for God's word to remain in us. James talks about these three things, a, pra- a practice that in our lives we adopt an ongoing and active practice of hearing from God. That we also adopt an ongoing and active posture of receiving from him. And then more than just hearing God's word and receiving it into our hearts, Jesus talks about that then bearing fruit through the pursuit of obeying what he said. This is the formula. James gives this. In fact, all of our formation groups are actually uh, built around this grid. Formation groups, uh, basically one of the things that every formation group has is this individual exercise for each member of the group to do on their own. So after every Sunday, we'll send out this response exercise. And you'll, with whatever we study here in God's word, this weekend it's kind of like, you know, ironically enough, it's his word. That's the topic of the message. The exercise will take you through these three things. The first thing you'll, you'll do is you'll practice hearing. I mean, we're hopefully doing it right now. But the practice of hearing, James says it this way, let every man be swift to hear. It's about attention towards God. Because where your attention is determines who you're becoming. So it starts with attention. God, what are you saying? With him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Um, can I remind us that God um, has spoken? We have a communicative God. That's the greatest news of all, God's revelation of himself, that he is willing to talk to us. And can I remind you that God still speaks to his kids? That the Bible's more than ink and paper? The scriptures are a means through which God wants to speak to us in the here and now. He still speaks by the power of his spirit through his word. I mean, what what a thought. That God wants to talk to you. Imagine really believing that and saying, okay, I'll show up for that appointment because I imagine what God has to say is pretty important and could change my life. So what are you, what are you tuning into? Uh, we need to get back to an understanding that, that, the, that, the, that the scriptures are the means to which God speaks, man. He wants to speak to you through his word. You know, all day long we're giving attention to so many different people, hearing their thoughts, hearing their news giving attention to them. And, and if, you, you know, if you tune in to those different channels, you'll, you'll hear from them. And all day long, we're hearing from different people. You, know, you want to you hear from Anderson Cooper? Turn on CNN. You want to hear from Ben Shapiro? Get on the Daily Wire. You want to hear from 
Joe Rogan, get on Spotify. You want to hear from fill in the blank, your favorite influencer and their big platform. You want to hear from God, get into the scripture. Tune into his word. Open up his word and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. There's no words like the words of Jesus. That was a good place for an amen. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just going to assume you weren't hearing. Um, there also needs to be a posture of receiving. I think one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that because I've heard it, I get it. Or because I've heard it, I've received it. And there's a caution that, that there's a danger. We, here's the problem. We have sinful hearts. And so James also says, receive with meekness the implanted word. I've got to hear God's word. There's got to be a practice in my life. This is one of the things we're doing right now. It should be also a part of my daily life where I'm, I'm hearing from God. What do you have to say? But then there should be a posture where I say, Lord, now help that truth that's in my head make its way into my heart. And sometimes that involves some, some work, doesn't it? Sometimes you've got to confess some sin. Sometimes that's the, the, the backup that's keeping you from receiving God's joy and encouragement. Sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a repentance thing. God, this is keeping my heart from coming under what you're saying. So there's a posture of receiving what you have to say. I don't know about you, but like I'm, for me, I'm the kind of person that like I can hear 50 encouragements and I can hear one criti- criticism and it's the criticism that I receive. Anybody else like that? Just me? Thank you. I felt that, you know, like a little critical a little criticism. My soul. And so it's what, what are you, the question isn't just what you're hearing. It's what, what, what kind of work are you doing in prayer to receive what God's saying? Can I tell you, it's why every Sunday we spend some time opening God's word. And then we, then we don't just go, all right, amen, God bless, have a good week. We're about to take a moment here right now where we go, okay, Lord, we just heard you say this. But now we want, to receive, we want your word to saturate our hearts. We want, it, we want it to marinate and take root. We don't want to just bounce off our hearts. And then lastly, there's, a, there's a, a pursuit of obeying. This is really what it's all kind of working towards. In James 1, he says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And where do you think kid brother James got this? He got this from his big brother who said, hey, if you want to if you want to have a good foundation, if you want to live a life that won't crumble, you've you got to build your life on the words of Jesus in obedience. Here's an interesting idea. You in Christ have the power to obey, and you're accountable if you obey or not. I don't know what we've done in our theology that has taken that idea out. Jesus is like, you, you got to, you're called to obey what I've said to do. It's out of love but you're called to obey. There's an obedience factor. Otherwise, James is like, it's like looking at your reflection in the mirror in the first thing in the morning, seeing all the damage of a long night's sleep. No offense, I didn't mean that was a little harsh, the damage. You know what I'm saying? The after effects of a long night's sleep and then being like, let's go to church, just like this. No, you're going to make some adjustments in light of what God has revealed. And I think one of the best places to do that is community. Community is where we really, we start to process what we've heard. It's where we start to, to really evaluate if we're receiving what's true. But it's also where we start to work towards obedience. We're meant to do that together. Amen? Amen. Listen, I want to invite the team to come out and uh, close us in this final reflection. This is our pattern for our Sunday mornings. And I hope you hear again that this is not merely like pragmatic 
or like, you know, what do you do after the message? I don't know, like, you, I guess we could sing a song. <laughs> that would be like a cool way to kill some time. It would probably be weird to just be like, all right, you guys, all right, see you guys. Like, that would probably be weird, so we should just do it. No, that's not why we do this. As I just said, we want to create a space each and every week where hopefully there are some things for you as we've looked into God's word that connect with where you're at in your life. And hopefully, as you're here in this moment, you're reminded of who's on the other side of those words. It's Jesus, the one who gave his life for you, who loves you, who died to save you, who rose to rescue you, who forgave you, even with your record of past, present, and future sins. And he speaks to you from that heart that that invites you closer to him, that invites you to have a closer relationship with him and his word. And so we create a space here where we can engage after we have first observed the word of God. We want to now engage with the God of the word. We want to turn our attention towards him. I think of these words in James or Jeremiah 15. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I want to encourage us to take a moment now to go before the Lord with this posture, recognizing that the words of God are the joy of our heart. And I pray that's true of you today, because those words first bring words of love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance through Jesus. And they provide a basis for you to approach him, to say, God, I've not been hearing what you've been saying to me. I want to repent of my ears, being given attention, giving attention to other things but your voice. But I hear you today, God. And then God of love, I pray that you would soften my heart and even, God, reveal parts of my heart that are closed off to your word. Whether it's the distractions of this world or the discouragements of life or the devil himself, whatever has kept my heart from humbly receiving the gift of your word. I pray that you would open my heart up. I want to receive what you have to say.